today I am talking with Tony from Zappos, and I guess we'll um, talk a little bit about where Tony's come from and some of his other businesses, and now he's gotten into to Zappos and, and where, it's, where it's at today. So, Tony, thanks for joining me. Oh, and thanks for having me. Um, uh, so, I'm, well, I'm, I'm actually really interested to know you. Before you did Zappos, you did uh, another company which you sold to Microsoft, right? Yep, it was a company called Link Exchange, which uh, I had started with a college roommate back in '96, and we grew that to about 100 or so employees, and then ended up selling it to Microsoft in 1998. So uh, about 10 years ago. And you, I mean, you sold that for something like 200 million bucks, right? Uh, Microsoft bought it for yeah 265 million, and after that um, I got together with a someone that was working in the finance department there. His name's Alfred, and he and I formed a small investment fund and invested in a number of different internet companies. And Zappos just happened to be one of them. And over time, Zappos uh, ended up being the most promising and the most fun. So uh, I ended up joining full time as CEO. So we'll certainly talk about that. I'm, I'm just, if you, if you don't mind, I'm really interested to hear some more about some of your background and, and what you did at your previous company, the, the Link Exchange company. Sure. Uh, so at Link Exchange, I was uh, one of the co-founders, and you know, initially I was involved with actually doing the software programming for it. And uh, and Link Exchange was basically a cooperative advertising network, and we had about a million different websites in our network, and. Uh, would basically provide free advertising services for them. Is that is that a business model? So it was acquired by Microsoft. Is that still around today, or is that something that's kind of gone away? Uh, they acquired it for different reasons from uh, from what we wanted the company to become, and so they wanted access because we had about a million websites in our network. They wanted access to the small businesses that were in our network, and they really used that as a way to launch their small business initiatives. And they actually weren't as interested in the network itself in terms of from an advertising point of view. Yeah, yep. And and so they actually ended up shutting down uh, the the banner advertising network part of it uh, pretty recently, actually. All right. And was that your company that you founded as well? Uh, yeah, I had started it with a college roommate. Right. And, and so, I mean, your background, did you grow up in I, – I know you did stuff in the Bay Area, but now you, move, you live in Vegas. Did, did you grow up in the Bay Area or did you grow up somewhere else? Uh, yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area and then went to college on the East Coast and then after college went back to the Bay Area and um, – and then about four years ago, ended up moving uh, Zappos to Las Vegas, and so I've been living in Las Vegas for the last four years. Right. Okay. And so after you after you did the um, the Link Exchange, then uh, you did Venture Frogs. Is that right? Yep. And that was our uh, small uh, investment company. And so, but I remember seeing that you guys have a bar in Can- in in San Francisco. Is that still there? Uh, that was actually something that my parents ran, and so we had a building where, actually, uh, Alfred, who's now, who was my partner at Venture Frogs, and he and I um, uh, had started the investment company and incubator. So he and I actually lived in the top floors of that building, and uh, downstairs we had a bar and restaurant which my parents ran, and we also had our offices for the different companies we were investing in. 
I mean, so that's kind of a cool thing. So you're what, like 25, you've, you've already cashed out of a company, you've done pretty well, it's like open a bar, and I guess that was yeah. your, your, your parents' business then, and so you've got a place to party, and then, uh, and then you, you're running your business there as well. Is that kind of the thinking from it? Uh, yeah, and, and there was also a gym in the building as well, so uh, there were definitely days when we never left the building. Huh. Did, did it work out that well in practice? Was the bar popular? Um, it was great for because uh, it was also a movie theater, so a lot of people would, whether it's before or after the movie, stop by the bar for a drink uh, or get something to eat at the restaurant. And is it still running now, or did you, did you close it? Uh, we closed it when we moved the moved Zappos to Vegas. All right. All right. So, so the, the, the starting of Zappos is something that's really interesting. Um, you were doing, so you're doing, um, I guess, venture frogs, and so you're investing in multiple companies. Is that right? That's right. And we ended up um, investing in about 20 or so different companies. So you're, okay. And so as you're going through and you're working with these 20 companies, and you, you mentioned, and I, I read this about you as well, that um, Zappos was the one that seemed the most fun and the most lucrative, and so that's the one you went towards. Is that right? Yep. That's the one I decided to eventually join full-time. Was that the was that the plan from the beginning when you were investing all the, in all these companies? Uh, no, we didn't really have a plan. It was more uh, initially just thought it would be fun in, being involved in a lot of different companies. But what I found was that I really miss actually being a part of being part of the creative process and in, in helping grow a company. Whereas when you invest in companies, you really you know put in the money and then. You know, might occasionally be there as an advisor, but you're not really involved in the day-to-day, and I found that I really missed that. Hmm. So what of the other 20 companies, or the other 19 companies, what happened to those? Um, some of them were acquired. Uh, for example, Mongo Music was acquired by Microsoft. Uh, some of them went public. Uh, Ask Jeeves was one of the companies we invested in, and some are still uh, still going along. Like uh, we're we're involved with Open Table, for example. Right. Yeah, I mean that's a good company. Um, so so as a as a, so you've been you you've had your time as a venture capitalist. Which I mean it looks like you've done pretty well as a VC as well. Uh, well, it, it was uh, you know, definitely an experience, but I, I definitely prefer just being actually inside a company as opposed to just investing. So would you say when, um, let's say Zappos at some point, some sort of event happens where you move on or it gets acquired or something like that, um, would, you, would you do another company again after Zappos? You, you want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, well, we're really thinking that we're at the very beginning of what's possible for for Zappos, and you know, hopefully, we'll be able to create something that not just me, but everyone in Zappos can really view as this is the place they want to be for the long term. And so, it's a little different from you know the other experiences that I've had in the past, and that we're really trying to build a long term standalone company. Right. Fair enough. And so how did that work? I mean, you're sitting there as a VC and investing in these companies and then Zappos is taping off. I mean, you're the, you're the investor. And, and so how does that work when you say, well, actually, I'd like to come in and run it? Uh, I don't think there was really, a, you know, there wasn't like a day where it just suddenly transitioned. It was more just over time I just ended up spending more and more time, you know, with the company. And uh, it, it wasn't something that I forced myself uh, into it, it. It was just something that seemed like it made sense uh, you know, to everyone that was involved. Hmm. Right. 
your your story is not dissimilar to um, Greg Seng's story with um, Jumpstart. Oh yeah, I don't know actually too much about Jumpstart. What, so he did a they similar were, thing. I mean, Greg was they had some success with um, Crushlink, and that had, that had made them a bunch of money. And so they thought, well, let's go out and we'll incubate a bunch of companies at the same time. So they're incubating like ten or so companies. I think High Five is one of the ones that passed through their their incubation. Um, although they didn't start it, but they helped get the viral and all that sort of stuff working for it. And so they had all of these companies running all at the same time um, and got found that they got very scattered and weren't necessarily doing a very good job running them all. They had a lack of focus. And one of the companies was just really taking off, and it seemed to be the one that was the, the most interesting. So they basically wound down all of the others and, uh, and went and focused all their time on tag. Oh, great. Um, so I find that that's, that's an interesting an interesting analogy. It seems like you've done something along the same line. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so Zappos took off. Um, how did do you want to tell us a little bit about how it got started? I've read some of the things that some emails that got sent. Or you, uh, the guy was leaving a voicemail for you saying, "Let's go and do shoes," and you're like, "You're crazy. You don't know anything about shoes." And but you went and did it anyway. Yeah, uh, this was back in 1999, and you know there are all sorts of different in- internet companies being started back then. And uh, you know, to me, shoes didn't sound like a great idea at the time. But uh, I learned as part of that voicemail that in the U.S. it was a 40 billion dollar market, and five percent or two billion dollars was being done by paper mail order catalogs. So you know, in my mind, even though I personally at the time, didn't think I would buy shoes online. It, it definitely seemed like the web would at least uh, be as big as paper mail order catalogs. So that's kind of what got us interested initially. Uh, and then over time, uh, you know, customers found that it actually was very easy to purchase from us, and we started adding more and more customer-friendly services. For example, free shipping both ways, and, and that really takes a lot of the risk out of buying shoes online. And then we also, over time, started extending our return policies from 30 days to 60 days to 90 days, and today it's actually 365 days. And so this was all of this stuff was stuff that we hadn't really planned from the beginning, but over time we just found that as we put more and more into the customer experience, uh, that really helped fuel our growth and uh, repeat customers and, and word of mouth. And so uh, that's pretty much how we started with uh, basically zero in sales in 1999. And this year, uh, 2008, we're on track to do a little over a billion dollars in gross merchandise sales. And that's really you been driven. You are going to do a billion dollars this year. That, that's incredible. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that's mostly been driven by uh, repeat customers and word of mouth. And so that's it's kind of become this, uh, this cycle now where the more we grow, the more we're able to put into the customer experience, and the more we put into the customer experience and customer service, the more word of mouth uh, happens, and and we just have continued to grow that way. So you're really trying to tell me you're not some like Melda Markov with a secret shoe fetish, and that's why you started Zappos? It did actually come out of a business idea. Uh, no, I actually used to buy one pair of shoes every two years until they would you know wear out, and then I would go back and buy another pair. <laughs> Have you had to go back and change that now? Like, you know, you have to be the the, the shoe fashion stud? Uh, no, because we really internally, you know, long-term, we're really just thinking of the Zappos brand as really just a brand about the very best customer service. And we just happened to start out with shoes. But, you know, hopefully 10 years from now, people won't even realize we started out selling shoes online. And we've even had customers email us and ask us, will we please 
start an airline or run the IRS, and we're not going to you know, do it, either of those things this year. But you know, 20 or 30 years from now, I wouldn't rule out a Zappos Airlines because really just want the Zappos name to be about you know, the very best experience. Now, I want to talk about that because you've raised a really interesting thing. Um, but before we go down that path, if you don't mind, I'd like just to learn a little bit more about how you got started. Sure. Um, so it, it did actually start as an investment. Did you Were you the, the only funder or were there other investors in it as well? Uh, there were some friends and family. of the, the, the founder's name is Nick, and so Nick had uh, raised a little bit of money from friends and family, but uh, Venture Frogs was the first significant investor. And how long was he going on his own before you came in and, and started running it? Uh, well, so the, we originally got involved uh, about two months after it started, uh, and then probably over the course of the next year or so, there, again, there wasn't kind of a sudden day where everything transitioned. I just ended up spending more and more time with the company, and uh, and then we ran the company together as uh, co-CEOs for, for a while. And then uh, I think it was about five years ago when uh, I eventually uh, decided it, it was, we both decided that it made more sense for me to be CEO and, and so he could work on other parts of the company. And he actually ended up leaving the company about two years ago to start another company. Oh, really? So he's a, he's a serial entrepreneur? Yep. Well, he's done pretty well starting Zappos, I'd say. Yeah. And uh, and he's now involved with uh, uh, a company that's involved with the mixed martial arts uh, category. So uh, I think that's pretty exciting as well. Hmm. And so Zappos did originally start in the Bay Area, didn't it? Yeah, it did in San Francisco. So what prompted you to move out to Vegas? Well, our fastest growing department was our uh, what we call it our customer loyalty team. It's our call center. And in San Francisco, it's really hard finding people that want to do that as a career. Whereas Vegas is a 24/7 city, we run our call center 24/7, and uh, you know it's much more affordable than San Francisco, so people can actually do customer service as a career. All right. And so, but given that the company mantra is about service, that that fit well with the direction of the company. Yeah, and we didn't want to just open up a call center and then keep our headquarters in San Francisco because, you know, if really our brand is going to be about the very best customer service, then customer service needs to be the entire company, not just a department. And we all need to be together, you know, where the customer service is actually happening. So how do you run things in turn? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, like, we're a customer service company and that's where we're focused, but how are you doing things internally that that makes that work? I mean, are you, do you meet daily with all the, the top customer service uh, managers? Are you, are, you, are you reviewing the problems that come up? Like, what kind of things do you have in place to make sure that actually is a reality every day? Um, well, there's a number of different things. You know, so some of it is our policies, which I've talked about. Some of it is uh, just showing that we want to actually talk to our customers. On most websites, it's pretty hard to find know, contact information, let alone a phone number, whereas our 1-800 number is on the top of every single page of our website. Uh, and then the other thing is we run our call center pretty differently from most call centers. Uh, most call centers have this concept of, uh, I think they call it average handle time, which basically measures how many customers each rep can talk to in a day, which translates into 
basically how quickly can you get the customer off the phone, and we don't really view that as good customer service. Uh, so we actually don't measure call times. All we care about is if the rep went above and beyond for the customer. And uh, an example of that is, you know, if a customer is calling us looking for a specific pair of shoes and let's say we're out of their size, we'll actually look on at least three other competitor websites. And if we find it there, then direct the customer to the competitor. And yes, we'll lose that sale, but really we think that's better customer service. And 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 that's what we care about is just making sure that every interaction we have with the customer, they walk away saying, wow, that was the best customer service ever. Uh, and then I guess the other thing is that the number one thing we focus on as a company is actually company culture. And so we believe that if we get the culture right, then most of the other stuff like great customer service will just happen on its own. So I don't need to personally be reviewing all the customer issues. We just need to make sure that we hire people that are customer service focused and believe in the company culture and trust that they will take care of the customers. How does that work in reality, though? Like, I'll give you an example. I mean, you, you must know the, the tradition of uh, Costco. The Costco will take, like, almost any kind of return, and you can take almost anything back and return things that you didn't even buy at Costco. Yep. Um, and so that can end up costing them a lot of money. Um, if you, How do you handle extreme situations where you've got extreme customers coming in trying to take advantage of, of you in the way some people do sometimes with Costco? How do you handle that sort of stuff? Yeah, so if there are customers that are clearly abusing our uh, policies, then we'll call up the customer, let them know that, for example, if they return shoes, the shoes need to be in new condition. They can't have gone hiking in them or anything like that. And uh, and then if it happens repeatedly, then we, you know, those situations, then we'll just shut off the customer's account. Because, like, Google has this policy of do no evil, which um, I think they try pretty hard to, to meet that. But even still, there's people will jump up and down and criticize them and say, well, they say they do no evil, but, you know, what's going on in China? You know, anyone whose who's business is dependent on um, any kind of SEO and loses their ranking gets upset about that. Now, you know, uh, you and I would probably agree on the editorial stuff behind that. But um, a lot of people go and say, well, they, they, try, to be, they try to say they're, they're not evil, but they're not. Um, do you think that's going to be the case with your uh, service focus? Could that can, can be, can be um, well? We're not trying to be yeah yeah. We're not trying to be everything to all customers. For example, uh, we want customers to come to us for you know the best service and the best selection. But uh, you know there are plenty of customers out there that really are just looking for the lowest price, and we're not going to make those customers happy because we don't offer coupons or blanket promotions or anything like that. And so. You know, for us, we're... You don't try to compete on price. No, definitely not on price. We want customers to who value better service and are willing to you know, pay a little more for better service. And, uh, and then for customers that don't value better service, then you know, their needs are probably better met by another website, but not from Zappos. And so you gain that. And, and for you, that better service then ends up leading to higher levels of trust so that when someone comes to you and wants to order something and you don't have it, then you can refer them somewhere else. That increases trust with you, and therefore they'll, they'll likely come back to buy the next pair of shoes from you first, or they'll at least try you first, and you'll get that next sale and, and can justify a higher margin, margin there. Right. Right. 
Now, something that's fascinating for me is um, a lot of companies, and you, I mean, when you worked in the, the Link Exchange company, were you doing any kind of advertising, split testing, knowing metrics, that kind of stuff, or was it just uh, primarily a Link Exchange? Uh, well, we were. Th- so the way the network worked was that uh, every website that wanted to participate would put a little bit of code that we provided them onto their web pages, and once they put that on, then ads would start displaying. And for every two ads that they showed, they would earn one credit, and that credit would allow them to be advertised for free elsewhere on the network. And so, uh, for example, if on a given day uh, we were displaying, say, 10 million ads uh, across the network, 5 million of those would be used to advertise our members, and then we would have an extra inventory of 5 million ads, which we would then turn around and sell to companies like Toyota, for example. And so for Toyota, it was a great way to reach a mass audience on a million websites all over the web. And then for our members, it was a great way to get free advertising because it was supported by Toyota. Have you used any of the concepts from that business in Zappos, or is it totally unrelated? Uh, it's pretty unrelated. I, I guess the, the, you know the only concept that really carried over was probably uh, just that you know at, at Link Exchange we cared about customer service a lot and uh, made sure we staffed that up appropriately. Whereas at Zappos, it's not just caring about it a lot; it's actually making that what we want our brand to be about. So we've kind of taken that customer service concept to the next level. Okay, because the reason I ask then is um, a, a direct response is a, a, a pretty foundational concept on the internet of being, you know, like you, you said yourself, um, you looked at the, the companies who were doing shoes in by mail order on, on offline and therefore extrapolated that to online. And so a lot of direct response concepts are applied where then with split testing and optimization and, you know, being able to pay a certain amount for a customer and drive a certain model, uh, a certain amount of advertising and all those sorts of things, whereas in some of the reading I was doing about your company, um, you for the last couple of years, I guess maybe this has changed now, but you were keeping things at more or less break even. Um, and what I guess what I don't understand is how were you acquiring customers, um, and how did this? I mean, was it just this relentless focus on service that got you customers? I, I just I hear companies talk about that sort of thing, but then they are often the ones with no customers, whereas you're very very clearly a strong exception. So what, what am I missing? Yeah, well, so when new customers register, we asked them where they heard of Zappos, and uh, and a big, big portion of it is some sort of word of mouth, whether it's for, you know friends or your daughter or mother or whatever, and uh, and so that's that is something that we look at, and then the other thing we look at is our repeat customer numbers and making sure that you know our repeat customers do come back over and over again, and not only do they come back, but they end up purchasing from us more and more often. And so those numbers have gone up as well. And, and so we look at both of those numbers and uh, you know, are always trying to think of ways of uh, in improving those numbers by, you know, basically always comes down to the same thing. How do we make the customer experience better? At the end of the day, it's shoes. It's shoes that they can buy at, at, a, at a store in the, in the mall. What is it that, I mean, if you're getting those kinds of numbers from effectively from referrals, there's something motivating people to do all of those referrals. But they are buying, I don't know, would you consider it, it is more or less a commodity. It's shoes. What is it um, no, it's uh, well. We actually, uh, actually, the initial reason a lot of customers first try us out is because of our selection. We have a much, much larger selection than uh, you're able to find in any 
brick-and-mortar store. Uh, our warehouse is actually the size of uh, 17 football fields, and uh, right now there's a little... football fields? You have one warehouse that's that big? Uh, it's actually two warehouses, but combined it's right across the street from each other, and combined it's the size of 17 football fields. And uh, it's a little over 4 million items in there, so there's just simply no way for any brick-and-mortar store to carry a selection that large. We work with uh, over 1,500 different brands, and uh, you'll find, many, even for any specific brand, you'll find more styles available on Zappos.com than you would even in the brand's own uh, kind of concept stores. So so when people are saying, you know, like the daughter's saying to her mother, you've got to go and buy shoes from Zappos, she's saying, you know, Mom, these, these guys have more shoes than anyone else does, and they really take care of me, so you should go and buy it. Would that be the, the two things she's telling her mother? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And then, you know, a lot of women especially like to order 10 different shoes, and uh, we actually do a surprise upgrade to almost all of our customers to overnight. And then so they get them the next day, and then they can try it on in the comfort of their living room with 10 different outfits and then send back the ones that, you know, they don't like. And so that's something that you can't really do in a brick-and-mortar store. Oh, okay. So what percentage of shoes are returned? Uh, it really varies by brand. So some brands, the return rate might be 20%. Other brands, it might be 40%. Uh, some of it has to do with fit issues, and some of it has to do with uh, how expensive the shoes are. So more expensive shoes are more likely to be returned. Uh, and during the winter, for example, slippers are less likely to be returned because there aren't as many fit issues with that. So you actually built your model about around being able to take those returns and get them back into stock and then get them out again without problems. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, if a customer isn't sure if they're a size 8.5 or 9 for a particular brand, we will encourage the customer to order both. And then, you know, whichever one doesn't fit, just uh, send them back, and, and it's free shipping in both directions. So it's very uh, easy and risk-free for the customer. You know, I've never heard of that before because normally in, in most direct response businesses that I've, I've worked with, it's you get you get returns, and so they're the ones that you you keep out the back, and then you get every so often you'll go through and you'll sell those as like damaged stock or you know like a, or returned stock. But get, you can put them straight back because I guess that's what happens in shoe stores anyway. You never buy a pair that's that's never been tried on. Someone's probably tried them on, and so you can take those returns and just send them straight back out again. Yeah, so it's exactly like what happens in a regular shoe store. You know, people will try it on, and and then uh, whatever doesn't fit gets goes back into the stock room. Except our stock room happens to be our warehouse. So that point right there, um, based around fanatical service and being able to return shoes like that, was that your breakthrough that made the company work? Um, I don't think it was any one thing. That, you know, that was definitely something that was at the time when we first introduced it. That was pretty revolutionary, but um, but definitely, I'd, you know, that's just one small part of it. And there's just, a, it's, I think it's really just the combination of a lot of small things. You know, if you if you call us, you're going to get people that aren't reading from scripts that really are there and you can feel that our reps actually want to help you uh, with whatever uh, help you you need. Some people call us because they're going to a wedding for the weekend and they just want some shopping advice, for example. And you know, whatever the customer uh, needs help with, we'll, we'll definitely be there to help out. What percentage do you get of people calling in versus just uh, orders on the site? 
Uh, our, in terms of number of orders um, placed, uh, it's roughly five or six percent of orders are placed through the phone. But most of the phone calls are actually not customers placing orders right then. Uh, what we found is actually, on average, uh, every customer will contact us at least once sometime in their lifetime. And it could be you know they just want shopping advice, uh, but then they'll purchase themselves on the web later. Or it could be maybe it's their first time going through the return process and they didn't realize that it's free shipping both ways. And so we help uh, show them how easy it is to go to our website and print out the free return label and to ship it back to us. So, um, but but yeah, we right now we get about 5,000 phone calls a day, and uh, and so we have a lot of interaction with our customers, and and that's also where we get a lot of our suggestions for improving our services just by talking to our customers every day. All right. Do you ever take the phone to man the phone yourself? Do I ever what? Do you ever get on the phone lines yourself and take customer calls? Oh, yeah. It's not just me, actually. Everyone that's hired in our offices here in Las Vegas, when they're first hired, actually go through a four-week training program where we go over company history, the importance of customer service, uh, our focus on company culture, and how to use the customer service tools. And they're actually on the phone uh, for a week taking calls from customers and helping customers out. And then we'll send them to our warehouse in Kentucky where they'll do all the different warehouse functions, picking, packing, shipping, receiving, and so on. And then uh, so, uh, so then it's a total of five weeks, and then they start their job as you know, a lawyer or accountant or whatever they were actually hired Put for. Put a lawyer through, and he'll be doing picking and packing and customer service. Yeah, it's, I mean, customer services needs to be the entire company, and we believe very strongly in that. And so if, if there's someone, a software engineer that, doesn't make it through that program, then we we won't end up hiring them, and so uh, it really gets everyone a lot on the same page in terms of our culture and our customer service focus, and and that's why we do it. And and so and the other nice thing is during our busy season in Q4, then anyone from any department can jump on the phones, and and they do as well. Also, you, if you if you're running out of uh, if you're getting overwhelmed with calls, you've got the lawyers and the programmers on there potentially taking customer calls as well, and it's, it's yep. kind of like retraining them as well. Yep. Hmm. I mean, how did you learn the business of like I mean the call center stuff? Did you guys just evolve? Did you hire outside consultants? Did you did you bring in people to help you, or did you just work it out as you went along? Uh, we just kind of worked it out as we went along, and all our software you know, for the call center is built in-house uh, off of our own uh, software. So, so really, it's been a constant evolution, and we would, we're actually adding features on an almost daily basis just based on feedback from our reps and uh, from our customers as well. And so the name Zappo is you picked also because cause your direction, it sounds like, is uh, targeting the direction that Amazon's in. Is that a fair summary? Um, I, I think people like to compare us with Amazon, but I, we really don't think of them as competition because Amazon's really about trying to be the low-price value leader. So you know, just the fact that we're in multiple categories, we're actually now selling um, – Handbags and apparel, even electronics and cookware. Uh, it, you know, we're, it's true that Amazon's in multiple categories and we're expanding into multiple categories, but that's kind of like saying, you know, just because Walmart will sell multiple categories and Nordstrom sells multiple categories, no one makes the comparison that Nordstrom's anything like Walmart. It's just on the internet. Every, everybody becomes a commodity and, and yet you're going in the reverse direction. I mean, it's, it's so easy to price shop online. 
Um, but you're saying it's more important to have that, that strong relationship, strong trust with the customer, and that's what will get you through these other categories. Yeah, and, and that's why we don't want to compete on price. And if the customer wants to shop somewhere else because they have a lower price, then they're not the right customer for us. So, because it's not going to work with every single product in every category either. It's, there's going to be some that it will work and some that it won't work. Or do you believe it will work with every single product? Uh, it probably won't work with every single product category, but it's with the ones that it doesn't work in, we just probably won't get into those categories. But, I mean, does that mean you end up more of a, a Saks Fifth Avenue type company than a than a, a Walmart um, carrying everything? Or do you, do you carry higher, more expensive versions of stuff like Walmart might, but just, just a bigger range and with a better service? Um, well, we we actually, for shoes, for example, we have $40 shoes and we have $2,000 shoes. So we're not trying to cater to just the high-end customer. Really what we're relying on is that over time, uh, as our business grows through word of mouth and repeat customers, that we're really funding this high level of service by not having to spend that much money on advertising. Uh, whereas I think a lot of companies spend a lot of money on advertising to keep trying to get new customers, whereas we are basically taking the, a lot of the money that we would have spent on paid advertising and instead putting that back into the customer experience, whether that's out of our shipping costs or running our warehouse 24-7 or running our call center 24-7. Yeah, i got to tell you, if you'd have come to me and, and asked me 10 years ago if this would work, I'd be telling you you're absolutely crazy and you shouldn't do it. Yeah, I would have said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, customer acquisition, acquisition is everything, and, and, you, and you've done it the exact reverse way, and you made that work incredibly well. It's astonishing. Congratulations. No, thank you. There's still a lot of work to do, but, uh, yeah, we're pretty happy with the growth we've uh, had so far. What are you going to do about, um, or what are you doing about international? I don't, did you actually know where I'm, I'm located right now? Uh, are you in Australia, or...? No, actually, actually, don't know where you are. I'm in the Caribbean. I'm in the Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. Uh, that sounds like a nice place to be. But um, and, yeah, taking care of the sun and the beaches and stuff. Um, yeah. I actually ordered some Zappos shoes about a year or two ago, and um, I got some that fit and some that didn't fit. And for, for me, ordering uh, when they come through international, I have a U.S. shipping address. They, I have to pay for them to be shipped over, and then I have to pay customs duty on them. So. When I've now I've still got these shoes that are brand new that I've kept here for maybe two years now that don't fit. Um, and I, if I have to ship them back, then I've got to go and pay shipping from the Caribbean to get them back, and so it kind of just doesn't work. It, it, it seems like that's an un, I'm, an, I'm an unsolvable customer for that sort of stuff. Does that sound correct, or do you have uh, do you have ways you can work with guys like me? Um, well, long term, we definitely plan on being in uh, different countries, but for now, we're really focused on just North America, and the reason for that is because we have so much other opportunities here in terms of other product categories, and you know, a lot of people in the United States still haven't even heard of Zappos if you pick a random person off the street. So you know, rather than spread ourselves too thin by trying to be in a number of countries, at this stage of the company's uh, growth, we really have just decided to just focus on North America and try to do the best possible job we can in North America. And then once we have that done, then we'll start expanding into other countries. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. Um, so 
how do you acquire customers now? Is it just through referrals? Are you doing any kind of viral marketing or any any kind of affiliate program or media buying or, or anything at all, or do you do none of that and you just focus on word of mouth? No, we do have uh, we do do some paid advertising. Most of our paid advertising dollars are spent online. Uh, in the top two places we spend are uh, keywords, like buying keywords off of Google, for example. Uh, and we also have an affiliate program, and and so those those uh, those definitely drive customers as well. And the, our philosophy about those is basically if we'll spend whatever money. Uh, we we don't really have a budget so much. We think of it more in terms of a ratio, and there's some ratio where, you know, for every one dollar we spend in advertising, if you get so many dollars in sales, then it's going to pay for itself on the first order. So might as well spend as much uh, money there as as we can. Uh, the the problem is there's actually a limit as to how much money we can spend that still meets that criteria, and so that's why we've decided we really want to focus on trying to drive the word of mouth customers. Hmm. So, I mean, are you, are you doing like a lot of testing and optimizing on landing pages and split testing and, um, you know, email sign-ups and, and sending them updates and convincing them to buy and that kind of stuff? Or, or is that sort of a small part of the business and the other stuff more to focus? Yeah, we do a little bit of that. And we'll also measure, for example, different keywords. We'll have different uh, ROIs associated with them, and so we'll look at that as well. But really, the main focus of the company has been and will continue to be on what can we do to make the customer service better? What can we do to make the customer experience better? Hmm. To keep the value high so, the, so that the customers are happy, so they'll come back and buy lots more really, really, really good shoes. Yep, and then and then over time, customers will slowly learn that we also sell clothing or or handbags or you know other product categories. So uh, that'll take some time as well for our customers to think of us beyond just shoes. The reason I, I keep asking about the customer acquisition part is um, a lot of the guys on my list are guys that are focused on delivering customers. So they're CPA traffic networks or big website publishers are looking for advertising to run all that kind of stuff. And so you're actually, if you were spending time in that area, that would be a fit for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyone that is interested in becoming an affiliate of ours, uh, we actually have an account on Commission Junction. And uh, basically uh, anyone can sign up for our program as long as it's, you know, an appropriate fit for... it depends on what the, their website is about, but uh, usually, you know, we we actually have a lot of affiliates that just signed up on their own and they're driving traffic towards us and uh, you know making whatever amount of money they're making. Right. Is that a is that a big channel for you? I guess it's a, it's overall a fairly small one. Uh, in, in terms of our paid advertising dollars, uh, the, the top two are keywords bidding uh, on our end and affiliate programs. So. Uh, you know, for any one individual affiliate, it can be a pretty significant source of revenue if it's just, you know, one or two-person operation. Uh, but in terms of our overall, given that we're going to do over a billion dollars in gross merchandise sales this year, uh, we're really focusing much more on repeat customers and word of mouth. Yeah, fair enough. Um one of the things that some guys in companies like yours try to do is, is you get really high payouts. So like for the affiliate program, it might be a $300 payout for a new customer, which they might lose money on the first two or three sales. But when they have, you know, like you have a fanatical customer service, they're able to come back in and, 
um, still afford to keep to make that work because they make it up over time. Is it? Do you have those kinds of aggressive payouts, or are they smaller? Uh, the, it's we we just pay a straight percentage. So right now our affiliate program we pay out. I believe it's twelve percent of the net sales. Is that lifetime? It's uh, it's actually a, for the next uh, 90 days, I believe. So whatever sales happen within 90 days of when they first drive the customer to our website. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, where where are you? What are the? You, you mentioned a bunch of times like uh, you want to move beyond shoes, um, and obviously with a name like Zappo, Zapato in Spanish, it's shoe. I'm sure you know. Um, is, do you feel, do you, are you concerned that you could be limited in, in the consumer's mind as becoming a, a shoe brand? Or, and, and where is your future direction? Like, what, what are the key products you're, you're moving towards? Yeah, we're really, we want the brand to be about service. And so it will take some time for our existing customers to be, start thinking of us beyond just shoes. But we're really in here for the long term. We're not trying to you know, do anything crazy overnight. And uh, and we really believe that in the long term, the Zappos name is going to be about the best service, and people won't even remember we started out selling shoes. Right. So, what what are the what are the areas that you're going into in, in the future, like you know, clothes or handbags? But what are the, uh, the lines that you care about? Yeah, so we're actually already selling handbags and clothing, and uh, and we just recently added electronics and uh, even cookware, uh, luggage, and uh, uh, linens, for example. And really, we're open to experimenting with a lot of different things. Uh, we have sporting goods as well, watches, and it'll kind of just depend on you know, what customers end up gravitating towards. Will you still keep the Zappos name, or would you change towards a more service-oriented type name? Uh, r- right now, we we're planning on just keeping with the Zappos name because it, it, you know, to most unless you speak Spanish, it doesn't really mean anything to most people. So it, it uh, right. makes uh, you know the direction that we can go pretty limitless. Right. So, I mean, I, and I guess you're not going to tell me the specifics, but I mean, how profitable is the company? I know you are profitable. How? How? It's it's a it's a tough model you're running. Now, Overstock.com, for example, isn't doing that well. Um, how well is it working for you? Uh, so, for the last several years, we've been running the company at close to break even. Basically, any money we would have made, we put back into the customer experience. And so, for example, we used to ship everything ground, and then when we could afford it, we surprise upgraded people to three days, and then. And then we surprise upgraded people to two-day shipping, and now we actually surprise upgrade everyone to overnight shipping. Uh, but last year was in 2007 was actually the first year we made a significant profit. Uh, it was roughly a 5% operating profit off of our net sales, and uh, so we plan on continuing to both grow the company and uh, run it profitably as well. So you're you're running a monster now. What's that? You're running a monster now. You're, you're like, a, you know, if you're doing that sort of stuff, you're in a position to become like the next Google or something. With where, where you're going? Uh, well, we de- we definitely think we're at the very beginning of what's possible. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't a company we're just trying to grow and then sell. Uh, we're, we definitely are thinking in the long term, and you know, there's still a lot of work ahead for us. 
And uh, as you grow, will you do will you do all your growth internally, or are you going to go public? Will you do grow by acquisition? Like, how, how do you how does all that sort of stuff? Uh, I would say most of the growth is going to be just done internally because company culture is our number one focus, and I think it's really hard to acquire companies you know, that have different cultures. You know, and I think there are very few companies out there that are as focused on company culture and customer service as we are. All right. One of the things I've noticed as I've, I've read about the company is um, talking about having get, getting brands to sign up and like finally this brand signed up. Why do brands not want to sign up? Surely you're a new distribution outlet that can give a lot of volume. Why would they not be jumping to work with you? Uh, well, initially because they we were a new company and they had never heard of Zappos and they didn't know what we stood for. And you know, there's definitely a perception out there that the Internet is about discounting. And so it just took some time for them to see that we aren't a discounter and that really what we pride ourselves in is customer service. And so... Uh, once the brands realized that, then they were much more comfortable working with us. And, and you know, there definitely are other websites out there that are about discounting, and I, I think that's what, you know, scares a lot of brands away because they want to protect their brand image as well, and they don't want to see their product discounted uh, on the Internet. Do you still have brands that don't want to work with you, or is that something from the past? Uh, they're still the really high-end brands. Uh, some of them still aren't working with us, and so it's just a process because, you know, basically when we first started, uh, none, almost none of the brands would work w- with us, and then, and then finally we convinced some of the fifty or sixty-dollar brands to work with us, and then once most of those were working with us, then we were able to convince the next tier, you know, the say seventy-five or eighty-dollar brands to work with us, and then once they were signed on, then the hundred-dollar brands, and so it's just been a process where, you know, over time as people see that uh, we are signing up higher and higher-end brands, that then you know the really high-end ones slowly uh, start developing a comfort level and working with us. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so, so for the future going forward, you, you mentioned you, you're focusing on building a, a great business and the company culture and that kind of stuff. Um, I know Microsoft, when it was uh, growing, it, it didn't want to go public, but in the end, there was a lot of people that did want to cash out and they were kind of forced to. Do you, do you think you'll be in that sort of position as well? Well, I think the difference is that we really try to make our company culture the thing that makes employees want to come join Zappos. And so... It's a little different because I think the promise in a lot of other companies is if you join us, then one day you'll be able to cash out and be rich, and that's not our approach at all. Right. So will Zappos continue just as a private company? Uh, For the foreseeable future, yeah. We don't have any uh, immediate plans to go public. And it's just owned by, what, a small group of investors, which includes you, and, and that's pretty much it, is it? Uh, Sequoia Capital is also an investor, and uh, they got involved a few years ago. Right. Fascinating. Um, Let's see. I think I've asked you everything I can think of. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about which I haven't covered? Uh, No, I think we covered a pretty good deal today. Thank you. That um, That was a great interview. Sure. Thank you.